marriage and now a word-filled family. And then we're going to close it out, the last part of it here, starting probably the next week or so on a word-filled prayer life. Is that important? Amen. How many of you were praying Monday? Amen. Remember pastor calling everybody to prayer. Amen. And so I know that uh, we rattled uh, we rattled heaven, didn't we? Amen with our prayers. So John, come on up and get ready to teach. He's going to talk tonight, I believe, about four models. <laughs> okay. <laughs> A little bit different than that, pastor. Worship time. Okay, so we didn't get quite finished with uh, chapter 14 last time, but we had some good conversations going. Um, so we will pick up, it's uh, the last question, question six on page 237, where it talks about flee the danger of corrupt communication. Um, It says, uh, Paul admonishes each of us to never allow corrupt words out of our mouths. The word used speaks in clear terms. It means sharp and cutting or s sick and rotting. Does that describe talk that comes out of your mouth? I would say no. But we kind of talked about this briefly before we ended last week uh, of, of things that I've heard, uh, such as the Coles incident where they were... Uh, the grandparent was being so angry with the grandson. Um, and that's not the way a, a godly parent handles situations. Um, sometimes words slip. Sometimes anger or flesh uh, comes up in the, in, the, in the beginning of a situation. Um, we talked about that last week too, how sometimes it's best just to kind of step away. Uh, you know, maybe have the kid go to the room until you can take a breath before you, you do something that you shouldn't. Um, and uh, a little testimony that now that we got into these chapters, and I don't think my dad listens, but uh, I mentioned him last week, and today I had a apology from my dad about so it's really interesting how the Holy Spirit works so that was pretty nice that was a nice surprise today um, but question number six at the bottom of page 237 it says gracious words have a purifying and preserving influence on all those around us when salted with grace by the Holy Spirit 
It says, pursue grace-filled communication with everyone, not just your kids. And then it says, flee the dangers of perfection. This was a, a, I wouldn't say a big problem. Um, some, how many of you know sometimes parents put unmitigated expectations on their kids? And sometimes that's a really heavy weight for your kids to carry. And sometimes they don't have a good way of verbalizing until there's just kind of a breakdown. So that's a mistake I made uh, with my daughter, and I love her to pieces. She's doing good. Um, I wish she could be here, but uh, there's a lot of ups and downs, as I think in any parent-child relationship. There's a lot of, I could have done that situation better, and the same thing goes with the child. I could have listened to mom and dad instead of going out and doing this, even though I knew it was not the right thing to do. Um, but in all things like I said before handle it with grace and try not to put undue perfection on your kids that they're going to live up to or be something that you have set for them in your mind that they can't live up to Um, on page 238 it says we do not give as men we do not dare give into sensual temptations even for a fleeting peek at online pictures a lustful glance in modest at immodest women a quick look at a magazine a moment on the move movie channel or a secret meeting with a woman we must say no we must flee we must never look back it's a particular area of weakness in a lot of men um It's been an area of weakness in in my own life. And it's something that's really hard to overcome. Uh, The only thing that ever came from me was once I got filled with the Holy Spirit in this church. Up until that day, it was a constant battle. And I've gotten to talk to a lot of other guys, either at work or on the streets, uh, that battled the same problems, the same feelings. And either they don't care about stopping or remedying them, or they just don't know how to start. Um, I, the reason that my mom and dad got divorced was because of another woman. Um, and it's happened in my siblings' lives. Um, it's, it's been a pretty constant thing in my life, anyways. And it's detrimental to a family. And the kids... A lot of parents don't think about this. When the parents get divorced, it's so confusing for the kids. It's so hard for the kids. They have to go to school and they have to explain that, well, this daddy did this, or that daddy did this, or next to this weekend I'm going to this home, and that weekend I'll be at this home. It's, it's hard for kids to adjust and deal with. with and, and even sometimes they pretend that, well, they benefit because now they get two Christmases or two birthday parties but inside it's hard it's a hard hard adjustment for kids to make and then 
on page 239, it says, flee the danger of neglecting spiritual nurturing. That is an important one. I'm glad that the chapter ends on that. What's the most important direction we can get our kids to head? Towards Jesus. To know that our kids have a life with Jesus, to know that our kids will read the word of God, that they will pray with you, honestly pray with you, and not just pretend while mom and dad saying the, the prayer. Kids that actually hunger and want to seek and learn more about the Bible and about Jesus. So that's one thing that we have to make sure as parents that we don't neglect in our kids' lives. And that is the end of 14. So now we're going to 15 and the models that Pastor was talking about. And question number one on page 243 says the ultimate goal of word-filled parenting is to lead our families to love God. And the answer is to lead our families. Nothing spectacular, nothing superman, just regular and constant adoration of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We talked last week about how dads in particular are supposed to be the, the model of the family, they're the priest of the family, the provider, the protector. So when it says constant adoration for the Lord of Lords, that starts with the dads. If the kids see dad admonishing Jesus in everything that they do, then the kids are more apt to do the same. Now, if they see dad bad-mouthing coworkers in job situations and they don't get paid enough and they work too many hours and it's just not fair and they have nothing but negative things to say about everything in life, then your kid's not really looking too much toward Jesus. So the things that we do, the way we act, the words we say, are very important to our kids. We have to be the example, and we are the leader of the house. So it says, it's wonderful that our perfect God does not expect perfection from us. How true is that? Because none of us would be able to live up to it. And even when we fail at times, we get to start over again and again through the cleansing of forgiveness each and every day. Thus becomes his gift of a marvelous new beginning. How many get up every morning and thank Jesus for another day? So then we go into... Only God is the perfect father. Something that we could never be. Parenting's hard. Um, I'm sure, yes. Parenting is very hard. You don't ever know as much as you want to pour into your kids and as much as, as you do, sometimes you don't know the direction in which your kids are going to go. And even yourself, when things come up in life, Hardships arise. Uh, 
you know, maybe a spouse passes away and you're left to be a single parent. I mean, it's just, it's very hard. But we have a perfect father that we can go to anytime and who is always by our side. So a perfect father would be one who, who knows everything about you and still loves you. I like that. Did you catch that? It's hard sometimes in the midst of a mess to honestly to maybe not look at your kid a little different. You still love them, but maybe it's a little disappointing. How many times do we mess up and God never says anything? How many times do we drop the ball, do we fall down? And he's right there with his hand out. He doesn't judge us. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't say anything. He just loves us. Just loves us and picks us back up so we can start again. And it's harder for us to do that than it is for him. The perfect father would always be on your side. He would be big enough for anything and never let you down. I don't know about any of y'all, but I know when I was a kid on the playground... We always did the comparison about my dad's bigger than your dad. Well, it wasn't until I was 34 years old that I realized just how big my father actually was. If I would have had those comparisons to use when I was a kid, I would have won every time. So, God our Father is all-seeing. Matthew 6, 4 says, Your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. There was a sermon I was listening to today talking about fasting. pastor asked us to fast this week, or at least Monday. So I was listening to a sermon about today, and, and they were talking about how they made such commotion about that they were fasting so that everybody would feel empathy for them and oh you poor person how good it is of you to fast and everything that you're doing but God sees your heart he tells you to go into your closet your secret place he says to not make known to others that you're fasting He will reward you openly himself. We don't look for admiration from your peers that you're doing a good thing or that you fasted for three days or it's about what he sees. So, Father, who sees all, all of our secrets, whenever we keep our charitable deeds secret, Prayers and private acts of worship or fasting strictly between us and the Lord, our perfect Father sees and reward, will reward us accordingly. God our Father is all providing. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He is always all that you need whenever you need it. 
God our Father is all-powerful. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and life? that's something that a lot of people don't understand but when you do understand it the magnitude at which that holds if I respect my dad for everything he's done for me how much more do I respect my heavenly father for everything that he's done for me and continues to do for me Ephesians 6.10 finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might Psalm seventy three twenty six. My flesh and my heart fell, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So He is all powerful. He is His power is who we rely on, not on ourselves. God our Father is never failing, the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Hebrews thirteen eight. Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He doesn't change. We change. We try to change his word. But he remains constant forever. Malachi 3.6 For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. When he makes a promise, he's not going to change that promise. It will be the same forever. The incredible truth is that our God is changeless. He can never be anything less than the absolute perfection that he is. We should imitate God and those he uses as examples. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. God is so good, he tells us what to do and then shows us how to do it. He then provides his grace and encouragement to go out and imitate the same godly characteristics. This is what we'll learn about in these four models. Does God want you to succeed? Absolutely. He sets the groundwork. He gives examples. He gives know-how for you to succeed, especially in anything that he's called you to do. So, the first model is Job. How many of you like to read the book of Job? It's a really good book. <laughs> Kara says she don't. <laughs> um, possibly the oldest book, and which is the question number two. The book of Job is perhaps the oldest book in the world. So here are the characteristics of Job on page 246. First one is that Job prayed for his children's activities. If you look at Job 1.5, so it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned 
and cursed God in their hearts. This Job did regularly. I'm sure everyone in here prays for their kids daily, if not multiple times a day. I gave the example of Jennifer and her connection with, with Abriana. She just, she knows when, and a lot of times when she gets that, she'll, she'll pray and then she gets a phone call and just confirms what she was wanting to pray about. I know we'd be going to bed sometimes and she'll just out of the blue, she'll be like, pray for this for, for Abriana. So, prayer for your kids is extremely important. Sometimes they don't know how to pray for themselves. And thankfully, we no longer have to offer burnt sacrifices. We can just go straight to the source. Number two, Job prayed for his children's purity. Job prayfully sought the personal consecration of his children. This speaks as his highly priestly role as the head of his family. He went to God seeking their purity before the Lord. As fathers, we should tell them when they are out of line, immodest, heading towards sin, and so on. Word-filled men will know the spiritual status of their children and be prayfully caring about their growth towards Christ-likeness. Is that important? I think so. I think it's very important for a father to be connected with his kids. And I think that's part of why when your kids move out, you, you miss them in a, in a different way. Not like they went away for a, a church camp or something, but like you give them to the Lord, but yet you still miss that knowing everything they're doing, being involved in every part of their life. You know, it's just they grow up, and, and that you, you miss that. I, I miss that anyways. I don't know. I'm a softie, though. I miss my kids. Um, number three, Job prayed for his children's relationship with God. How important is that? Every day, every day I'm praying that she, she does every decision, every choice, everything she makes, she does it with God leading her because she keeps her attention upon Christ and not everything else. Job prayfully offered himself to God as an intercessor for his family every morning. Can we say we do that? Or every night maybe? I know Angie's an intercessor. She prays for a lot of stuff. Um, number four, Job prayed for his children's hearts. Job prayfully looked at his family from God's perspective. This godly dad was so vitally concerned about his children's inner spiritual lives that he cried out to God for them. Job kept himself aware of the constant pressures of the world, the flesh and the devil. He wanted pure children, a holy family, and strong worshipers of God Almighty. 
Do you compassionately look at your children as they will become or only at their present immaturity? That's a good question. I underline that one. Because I know, I'm sure that my mom did it with me. Uh, I'm sure other parents have done it, but your kids get in such a, a mess that you really wonder if they're going to turn around and come out of it. So, do we as parents, do we just look at the situation that, they, that our kids are stuck in? Or do we look and pray at what God is going to deliver them out of? I've learned to not look at the situation they're in, but to keep praying and seeing what God is going to make of them. It's kind of like... Uh, kind of like the caterpillar and the butterfly. Sometimes kids are a little rough. They're just a little caterpillar crawling on the leaf. But when they finally yield to God and all the prayers that parents give and they go into that cocoon period and they come out and they're a beautiful butterfly and the miraculous things that God can do in their lives is just amazing amazing to see what God can do in someone's life. Uh, number five, Job never stopped praying for his children. Fathers of the word will be like Job who intercede prayerfully for his family. Job followed what was going on in his children's lives. Job cared about their personal lives being consecrated. Job personally stood as priest of his family by offering atoning sacrifices for the sin in general. Job looked not just at appearances, but at their hearts. Job continually watched over his family with spiritual persistence. Sounds like Job was a pretty good dad, huh? So then we go into Noah. Noah, who had living in a world that had gone to the devil literally, but Noah's children did not. Why was that? It was God's grace through a man who had responded and cultivated a heart for God. Job was a great dad because he prayed. Noah was considered great because he obeyed God. So number one, Noah believed God. Being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Question number three. The character of Noah's life is one word obedience he was obedient to God the character of Noah's whole life is summed up with just one word obedience even though the world had never seen anything close to a flood Noah chose to believe God by faith 
and spent, this says 120 years, but if you look in the Bible, it doesn't really specify the length of time. But he spent a considerable amount of time uh, carrying out the instructions to build the ark. And then Noah stayed in touch with God. Number two. Noah kept in spiritual contact with God and listened to him. This association led to the spiritual perception of God's will for his family. Allowed his family to be saved. And for him and his family to be the ones called to build the ark. And the ones saved out of the flood. Number three, Noah obeyed God. In all things that God told Noah, he without question obeyed. In the, in, in the form of not understanding and the daunting task that laid ahead of him, Noah didn't question, he responded. He didn't ask how or why, he just acted. With his faith in God, that God would do what he said. And number four, Noah led his family. Because of his constant integrity, both in the world and at home, Noah's family went along with his project, even though it meant standing alone in the whole world. So I asked myself this question. Would your family be willing to pay such a price because of your life's testimony? Does your family believe the way that you believe? Have you led them to believe that? That if you were called to do something crazy, like stand out in front of everybody and build an ark and get ridiculed and spit on every day and your family mocked, would they have the same faith to stand behind you in that? crazier to build an ark <laughs> see and that's that's important I know we laugh but it's really serious husband and wives families and kids can be on different wavelengths spiritually can be completely different I know me and Jennifer since we got saved we both got saved about the same time things sometimes seems to happen more rapidly to me like uh I don't know how to explain it. Um, I'm sure somebody can relate, but uh, it's like I'm being tested faster. It's like um, different things are coming up faster in my life to to see if I'm if I'm true, if I'm faithful. Um, it's just things seem to progress fast for me. And Jennifer, you know, I, I'll be spiritually somewhere. And I'll be wanting to talk to her about something. And I'm really, really like, you know, like this is serious business, you know. And she's not there. So it's hard to communicate. So a month, two months later, now she's on the same page. And now it's exciting that we can share it and talk about it. And we can build upon it. So it's very important 
that your family supports you. And as a word-filled, praying, godly man, your family should support you and be behind you 100%. And number five, Noah bravely condemned sin. Noah courageously confronted the whole world of sin and stood against it. This was not easy because of the intense demonic activity prevalent in the days of Noah. Until the end of the world, there will be, there will be never a time of stronger demonic activity. The entire earth was anti-God, anti-righteousness, and pro-sin. Immortality was at its Violence degrees, murder was rampant, and people were deaf to the word from God. There was not one human beyond his family that Noah had convinced that God was right and they were wrong. Only Noah and his family believed in God and entered the ark of, of safety. That would be hard to watch. It's hard now sometimes. When you go out ministering or evangelizing, and people just don't want to hear anything you're after you're trying to say. You're trying to talk to them about Jesus. You're trying to talk to them about salvation. And they either just brush you off, blow you off, or sometimes they even get angry. Now imagine Noah surrounded by a whole bunch of people in the midst of building an ark that nobody understood. Trying to get people to see the wrong of their ways. And nobody. Nobody but him and his family are going to get on that ark. I know from doing different things in ministry, Pastor and I have talked about it many times. Like sometimes you just want to shake them. You just want to shake them and tell them, like, you know that the choices you're making are leading to death. But you can't force something on them. You can't make them listen. You can't. And it. it breaks your heart sometimes but that is what we that's what we do we don't stop trying uh, number six Noah lived according to faith and read that verse again in Hebrews eleven seven. by faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen Move a godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which was according to faith. It was by faith that we talked about just a little bit earlier that Noah did the things he did. He stood in the face of persecution and without question or hesitation did everything God asked him to do. So then we move into... Abraham, a wonderful man. So far, we've seen the importance of developing the godly habits of prayer and obedience. Now, with Abraham, we look at leadership. Genesis 18 19 says, For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. 
after him in Genesis 18 19 implies that Abraham's family was deeply impacted by his example. So we see that God chose Abraham to command his family. On page 254, Abraham faithfully directed his family to look beyond the passing fancies of the world system, beyond the materialism of his day in Ur of Chaldea. That meant forsaking the gods of this world system in obeying the true and living God. Kind of reminds me of today. Kind of reminds you of the book of Exodus. God calls us out of this world, out of this world system, and from bowing a knee to any worldly thing or other God to focus and truly live our lives for the one true God. Uh, and question number four was on page 253. Leadership. Abraham set the direction of his family. Direction is the answer. So Abraham led his family faithfully. By faith, Abraham would call to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He was not looking for earthly things. He was looking for what God had promised him. Whenever God said to go, Abraham went. When told to leave it all, he did so by giving up materialism. When God told him, give up those gods and worship only me, he did. And when God commanded obedience, he obeyed. The greatest leader is one who himself is respectively submissive to authority. Even Christ was in subjection to his father, always doing those things which pleased him. On page 255, Abraham led his family to focus on the eternal. Rather than putting down physical roots wherever they went, they dwelled in tents. They kept looking upward to God because their focus was upon the real world, was not upon the real world, but upon the eternal world. In the world system, many believe in equilateralism, that all should be equal political, social, and economic, but God's view is equal worth, not equal woes. Still others hold the revelation believing that there is no absolutes. Yet God is the God of absolutes. There are those who exploit others to get all they can. The please me nows. And millions upon millions have fallen prey to materialism, believing that life consists in the multitude, quality, and possession of things and privileges. 
Beyond those vain and empty philosophies, there are still many gods to give up. Many of Satan's ways permeate this world, such as substance abuse, sexual sin and gratification, the sounds of sin, the language of music and rebellion, wickedness and occultism. Forsake those gods and bow to the one and true living God. Kind of going on a, a little bit of a tangent there, talking about Abraham leaving Ur and doing what God has called him to do. But the same thing plays true for today. It can be hard sometimes to give up those vices, to give up the things of the world, even though you, you know you're called by God. It's hard sometimes. They can hold a stronghold on people's lives. And I know Jonathan Lisa was going through Teen Challenge and being such a part of that. I know, I know y'all know exactly what that's talking about. The things that, that uh, drugs and other things can have, the hold that they can have on people's lives. I, I mean, just from Jonathan, from your own testimony. There's nothing that God can't do. There's no life that God can't change. And there's no vice of Satan that's strong enough to hold on to someone's life when God gets a hold of them. So God's design is to leave the quest for things and start seeking for only that which has eternal value. Lead your family by reading the word of God to them, directing them in the paths of righteousness, serving together in church, and reaching out to the lost. There's a lot dads can do leading by example. Just by making their kids go to church every Sunday. By reading scripture to them. By, talk, by talking about God and the word to them. By answering questions that they have about the Bible. About people of the Bible. There's a lot that a dad can do for their kids. So then we look at Joseph. Joseph and Mary. It says, number one, Joseph was compassionate. In Matthew 1.19, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. According to Jewish law, a betrothed couple, and this is question number five, was viewed as if already married, even though not yet physically intimate. Uh, sex with any other person was considered adultery, with a penalty of being stoned to death. But Joseph was a good man, a just and merciful man, who did not want to make a public example out of Mary. Therefore, he wanted to quietly get a legal divorce, which is the meaning of to put her away. But he wanted to be respectful of her. He didn't want anything to happen to her. But then we know what happens after that. Then Joseph had a visitation. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took 
to him his wife Mary. Everyone knew Mary was expecting, but unmarried, that was a looming death penalty. Joseph listened to God by immediately obeying his command to marry Mary. Joseph demonstrated love. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother to flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he, he took the young child and his mother Mary by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod. So out of love and the safety and protection of his family, Joseph packed up and took off on a long and treacherous trip to Egypt. Joseph listened to God, and because of love, he made the trip. Joseph demonstrated love for his family. Godly dads like Joseph demonstrate love for their family by not just feeling love, but following through with actions. They do things for their family. And that is very true. Dads will go out of their way to make sure their family has what they need. That's part of being a dad. You take care of your family. Joseph kept in touch with God. Now when Harold was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. Many dads, many people, pray to God when faced with a family crisis. But Joseph's habit was perseverance in prayer. He never lost touch with God. It's really easy, especially when you're super busy, to start sacrificing things of God. And prayer time is one of the easiest things to sacrifice. And it, it makes a big difference on your daily life. But Joseph, as we all should be, was diligent in that prayer time, always with God. Today we have something better than angel visitations, hearing voices, or having dreams. We have the revealed word, will of God in print. It's with us everywhere. Are you searching for answers from God's word? Does your hunger for his truth direct you? Do you stay in touch with God through prayer and his precious word? I hope so. Every day we should. Joseph was a good provider. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah instead of his father Harold, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. Now Nazareth was a small town, probably 400 people or less. It was very difficult to make money as a carpenter there. And though it was never easy, Joseph persevered in working hard to provide for his family. But after Christ was the age of 12, we never hear about Joseph again. 
He most likely died in the silent years. Jesus probably took over the carpentry business at that point. Good fathers would leave an inheritance for their children, even their children's children. And what's the most, one of the most, the most important inheritance that you can leave is a godly example. That your children want to follow God and that even their grandchildren want to follow God. They know that my dad was a godly man and the grandkids can say my grandpa was a godly man. And number six, Joseph gave lessons in living. Is this not the carpenter from Mark 6.3, the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Notice that when the, the riffraff see Jesus, they immediately think of him as the carpenter. That was the son of a carpenter. Jesus learned that skill by standing alongside his earthly dad. Godly dads like Joseph give their children lessons in living. How true is that? I'm a mechanic, and my daughter can change her own oil. And I, she helped me a lot. When I was, before I got healed from my knees, she was my, my uh, um, what do you call it, my shop hand. All I had to do was tell her what to do, and she did all the work. She was a very, very big help. Uh, and number seven, Joseph followed God's word for growing children. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law, he, Simon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people. So according to the customs, Joseph followed God's word in growing up his children. That he took him uh, to Israel he took him to be, um, we still do that now, don't we, Pastor? Yeah. Yeah, we still do that. So he took Joseph to be dedicated, and then after that, for all the feasts and prayer times in, in Israel, in Jerusalem, they would make the trip. Because that's what the word of God commanded that fathers do with their kids. Joseph followed God's word for growing children, which said that when... Sons were born, they were to be presented before the Lord. As they grew, they were then to be brought to each of the great festivals and taught about God. To be truly effective, we must reinforce scriptural child training with power, word-filled prayer. It can be astonishing to see what prayer can do in the hearts of young people. Did you know that prayer is one of the greatest tools we have in parenting? I like this part. Our prayers can follow our children into their rooms when they are not looking. Our prayers can touch them when they are away at school. Our prayers can ride in the car with them. By prayer, we can ask God to be real to them whenever, wherever they are and can be requesting, entertaining, petitioning, and supplicating before God to touch their hearts and lives. 
That's an important role for a parent. Very important role. Like I said earlier, sometimes your kids don't know how to pray for themselves. But as a parent, you can pray nonstop for them. A way we can present our children to the Lord is by solemnly dedicating their lives to Christ, then dedicating ourselves as faithful parents. Uh, and question number six was, according to Jewish, according to the story, because I'm getting ahead of myself, uh, the story on page 263, where it talks about um, a man named Patton, his father James. He established in his household certain things that would never be broken. Boundaries that would never be crossed. It says that they would never miss going to the Lord's house and worshiping. They would never miss morning and evening prayers. They would never miss offering their lives as sacrifices to the Lord. They would never let any event make them miss those ancient landmarks. Nothing is more important than God. And I'm trying to finish this up so Pastor can take over next week. Not next week. Well, let me finish this up for tonight. Uh, the other last important thing that we can do as dads is to lead our families in worship. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of, of the Passover. Joseph was a worshiper. He didn't send Mary. He didn't send Mary with the relatives. Nor did he say, why don't you guys just go and leave me here? Joseph was at the forefront of leading his family in worship to God. So, discipline, number one, was Job modeled prayer. Number two was Noah modeled obedience. Number three was Abraham modeled leadership. And number four, Joseph modeled persistence. Those are four wonderful models and characteristics that each of us can and should have. So, anybody have any special prayer requests for tonight? I know Colin has one. Uh, Bob. One of Bob's co-workers. Um... Leanna, she needs a prayer for her mom. Anybody else? Hmm? Mitchell? My cousin Mitchell. Is that it? Okay. Father, we thank you so much for this time tonight. Father, always just appreciate getting to come together, Father, with our, our brothers and sisters, Father. Thank you for a wonderful church and church family. Thank you for everything you do that you provide and offer, always taking care of us, always being with us, Father God. We lift up uh, Colin's co-worker, Father, uh, situations that he's gotten into, Father. Just pray that you help to lead him, Father, that you guide him, put people in his life, Father, to, to help him see and, and minister Jesus to him, Father. 
We pray for Mitchell. Father God, pray that he finally can get off this perpetual will, Father, and that he will listen to those that love him that have been trying to share Jesus with him, Father God, and, and will start to understand and, and, and see Jesus in his life. Father, we pray for Leanna's mom, uh, everything that she's going through, Father, with chemo treatments and things. Father, she asks that we lift her up, Father, and just to help encourage her, to strengthen her, Father, her mind and her spirit, her body, Father, to help her overcome this, help her through these chemo treatments, Father, and just strengthen her, Father, in everything that she does. And also, Leanna, Father, for being there with her and for her mom. Father, we lift up Bob's co-worker, Father, just for strength and encouragement, for understanding, Father, for eyes to be opened, Father, to see things, to hear things that Bob instructs and, and tells him, and Bob trying to lead people around him, Father, in, in a godly way and towards Jesus. Father, pray that these things, that they see, they hear these things, Father, that they they want to turn and, and find more about Jesus in their own lives. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for prayer. We thank you for everything that you do, Father, in our lives every single day, our kids' lives, Father, our businesses, our church, Father, our communities, everything, Father, that we do, we thank you for being a part of it, for overseeing it, for having everything in control. And we just thank you so much for all you do, all your blessings and all your love. In Jesus' name, amen.